Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Lainey. Hi, it's Joanna. And welcome to Show Your Work. We are here showing... Uh, I guess all the work and all the, like, I don't know, work of our antibodies. Um, like, yeah. I'm looking at us, and I don't think either of us is actually that sick. But the, the like, sick accoutrements yeah. uh, are bigger than they've been. The sick linger. Yeah. Like, I have the, I have a, like, tickly, like, gravel voice sound more than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a bit of a watery eye that you don't usually have. And a, a stuffy nose. And um, Yasik has the shits. Well, I mean, I wasn't quite going <laughs> to. I'll take I'll, I'll take what we have over what he has. Uh, any day, yes. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. Uh, I, I value that we're in sweats uh, while working, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it makes you think of, of what people have to do sometimes. Well, I mean, we are, um, we're doing this on Sunday. Um, this will be posted tomorrow after the Super Bowl. Pink is supposed to sing the national anthem. She is the flu. Okay, so this is the number one thing I've been thinking about for over a month now is, and I wrote about this, Margot Robbie had the flu the night of the Golden Globes. And I get it. It's the Golden Globes. Like you go to your fancy doctor and you get your shot of B12 or whatever it is they give to them and you get into your dress. But also, like, I just can't imagine sitting through the Golden Globes while you have the flu or sitting near her while she has the flu. That would be my thing, too. I'd be like, I feel so bad for you, but what the fuck are you doing here? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I don't want people I like or gave birth to to breathe on me when they're sick. It, it, it would be hard to be like, oh, nice. Yeah. Or then if I found out the next day in the press, I don't know, man. There's that, and then there's, like, Pink, who is going to perform tonight, and I think she's going to kill it. Like, you know, these are always the stories. Like, Michael Jordan scores X, Y, Z many points, um, and he has the flu, and Pete Sampras wins a Grand Slam, and he's, like, throwing up in between plays. Okay, but throwing up is not the flu. Like, I I have to be real, real, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, Mary Sunshine about that. Like, there's there's bad juju going down with the flu. Do not fuck around if you have the flu. Please go to the hospital. Please do not perform at the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, go and get yourself checked out because things are dire uh, with the with the flu, with the actual influenza. I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, you've done a TED Talk. I've done a TED Talk. Um, I mean, that's not performing at the Super Bowl, but in our small scale, it's a big deal. Imagine, like, facing that. With the flu, like knowing that your skin hurts when you put on your outfit. I have had the flu, um, like the real flu. I did not care what happened. I did not care 
uh, I didn't care who came or went. I didn't care if they like had taken my job away from me. I would have been like, farewell. Like, <laughs> I was pretty sure that like the end of life was coming for me in my mattress. So I didn't like you don't care. Yeah, I don't like millions and millions upon millions and millions in like hundreds of different countries are going to be watching and she's got to sing the national anthem. Anyway, best of luck to her. Um, whatever happens in a few hours from now and by the time you listen to this, but, and best of luck to you if you are like getting through sixth season. But, you know, perhaps as a gift, because we feel like sluggish and wintry, uh, all of the topics on this podcast are like kind of giggle worthy. Yeah. At the point where during the week we were like, okay, I mean, we had to narrow down so many topics, but yeah, for some reason what emerged in this lineup is like, Hilarious. Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah. All of it. E- each article uh, followed by the next is like, what? Including a finale of the Spice Girls. Well, it's funny because I I often, we send emails to each other with the headline podcast, but I always want to be like, uh, podcast, obviously, <laughs> or I mean, podcast. I want to editorialize, but it would get in the way of our search function. So know that these were these were sent with with tone in mind. So we will get to the Spice Girls, but we're going to begin with Katherine Heigl and the announcement this week that she is joining the cast of Suits. Yeah. What did you think? Well, at first I laughed, I have to admit, because I remember, what was it, three weeks ago when we did our Ellen Pompeo episode, the patron saint of Show Your Work. And we got that uh, email from a longtime reader, which we read on the podcast. And she was like, I, you know, to paraphrase, how does that lady who hangs out with her mother feel? And that just made me laugh, like that description that Katherine Heigl is known in some circles as, oh, the actress who always hangs out with her mother. Um, so I laughed a little bit. And then I, I thought about Katherine Heigl over the last decade. And where she's come, her step backs, um, her moments of being humbled. I also thought about uh, there are people out there who who think that she's being treated unfairly, that had it been a man who behaved the way she behaved during uh, Knocked Up and Grey's Anatomy, she wouldn't have been treated that way. I do believe Maria certainly feels that way. Like there have been times that Maria's written about it on our site. Um, alluding to that. But I do have complicated feelings about this particular casting decision on this particular show. Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting because it's all so tied up in a banana set of circumstances, right? This is a thing that this is, I don't know if there's a word for this move, but Sasuts is is not ending. Meghan Markle of course, uh, has resigned, and she's taken up her position on Harry's arm uh, and in, and all her royal duties. I don't mean to malign those. And Patrick J. Adams has said that he's leaving as well. Uh, and so lots of shows would have a finale. Lots of shows would kind of wrap up. The sequence of when people knew that this was or wasn't happening, you know, we can't know. But the show is doing the, I don't know, do we call it the cheers move? They're bringing in a whole new person to be the the new woman, essentially, to be the new focus and to kind of give it a second wave. 
it's a bold move. And I kind of think it's smart because do you watch Suits? I've watched an episode here and there, but no, I wouldn't know the ins and outs. Right. I've watched maybe an episode here and there as well. You know what I'm going to watch? Katherine Heigl on Suits. From a, like, you know, press and attention point of view, it's obviously very effective. Um, And from a show point of view, here's the thing. Before we get to whether or not uh, whether or not any sort of attention is deserved or whatever that looks like, Katherine Heigl has never been, the problem has never been the performance. In fact, Katherine Heigl was like, let's be real here. She is a talent, was a talent. People don't like to kind of talk about it now because it's unpopular and because her sort of I don't know, throwback blondness is not really what's in favor at this time, but Katherine Heigl can get it done. She can get the emotions across on screen, has always been a great performer. Yeah, I. you're right. I 100%, I don't think any of the complaints or criticisms about Katherine Heigl were ever to do with her talent or her ability to work when the camera's rolling. It was mostly attitude. But I'm just saying I think that her performance ability gets lost. Like, they're not just hiring, a, you know, a, a name to come in and bring some attention. They're hiring somebody who's going to be able to do the heavy lifting. Yeah, I, I, I totally see your point. To be fair, I think maybe one of the reasons that has gotten lost is because it didn't feel like anyone was losing. So, and this is this is due, obviously, to Shonda Rhimes and her brilliance, but when Katherine Heigl left Grey's Anatomy, the show didn't suffer. You know, there is typically a direct relationship between appreciation of talent and that the fact that she can get it done and, you know, that departure being seen as a cost. Something was lost. The show, Grey's Anatomy, went right along, chugging along. I mean, they did it after Patrick Dempsey left. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's you kind of look at this and go, yeah, I I hear you and I agree with that. But also, Katherine Heigl has led any number of projects between now and then. Like the the things that get brought up, maybe I am on Maria's side here, because the things that get talked about in terms of Katherine Heigl's attitude and uh, sort of snottiness are Grey's Anatomy, uh, and that happens circa season three, season four, which, if my math is correct, is somewhere uh, around 2007, 2008. And uh, following Knocked Up, right? Which I think was released in 2009. So that was during the press of that. That was almost 10 years ago, during which time she has done, you know, uh, half a dozen, maybe a dozen movies uh, where she has. She was, you know, the lead on a show, State of Affairs. Uh, She was also on Doubt, which is not a show that I know, uh, for 13 episodes. So she's been working and uh, holding down shows. uh, Like, not so much that shows didn't succeed when she left, but in fact, shows are getting greenlit because she was on them. Like, she's not getting the credit for that. I I think it's a funny point. There's two ways to look at that. Um, once this announcement came out last week that Katherine Heigl was joining Suits, I saw a lot of commentary from some people who were like, wow, like big casting news. And then I also saw a lot of commentary from people like 
Ira Madison III, for example. And then, and then there came out from there an angle about Katherine Heigl that was, she's a show killer, which I think is so interesting because on so many levels, um, I read the tweet at Ira Madison. I don't know that if, if he, it was his point. I can't remember if it was his point or if he had retweeted somebody else. But the point there is, yes, all the projects that you just cited since Grey's Anatomy and Knocked Up that she has led or that were greenlit by her were not successes. In fact, they were prop, like they were instant fails or like canceled very quickly. Well, but okay, let's take it easy a minute. I mean, that is the case with all kinds of shows. Like, I'm sure we could line up Jason Ritter projects and he's a show killer. Like, there are people who, you know, who have the best of qualities and just things don't stick. And I don't think it's just because of who they are. Yeah. Although I think show killer is an interesting, uh, uh, is an interesting label because I do think it crosses boundaries. It's not just for people who people don't like or it's, I think, probably, you know, I think by the time you test to be the lead of a network show, I think probably they're doing the testing on your Q rating or likability or whatever. She wouldn't get to the point of taping these pilots if people like disliked her that much. So that's not why she's killing these shows, as you put it. And shows are designed to get killed, which is to say the networks always put on tons of shows in the fall, knowing that not all of them will be successful. That's why we have something called mid-season replacements. No, I just, you know, to me, I'll, again, what made me laugh is that there were some people who were like, cut to suits being canceled next season. So there are several different ways and directions we can take this because if you are Katherine Heigl and you know you are aware that this reputation or this stain or whatever you want to call it has been following you around, you're joining an ensemble cast that isn't exactly like fresh, like they're not new to each other. They've established their own vibe. They might even have their own language on set as families do. She's coming into this environment. And then on the outside, some people are like, yay, yay. And some people are like, you're a show killer. It's an interesting way to approach this stage of your career. But I think it's actually super skilled and smart because she's not a show killer. If the show gets killed, the show is in season seven. You know how many shows wrap up at season seven or thereabouts? Like, that's not on her. That's on the show concept having run its course. So that's not going to stick to her. Uh, if the show is successful, that's great. She breathes in new life to it. Again, the shows that you're saying, oh, she killed the show, there are no stories coming out of those shows where it's like, oh, she was, you know, she misbehaved or she misspoke or whatever. I misspoke earlier. Knocked Up came out in 2007. So the things we are maligning her for are fully 11 years old. And those stories still carry around mainly because there aren't other stories, right? Uh, There aren't news stories coming out of the show Doubt or the show State of Affairs to knock them out of the way. Not stories of success, to your point, but also not stories of more misbehavior. This isn't like, I don't know, Gary Busey. Uh, And... The like joining the the narrative of Suits. Suits is already its own narrative. She is just the the guest star, in a sense. I think this is such a smart move on her part, on their part. It's it's all win and no lose for her. I can't see a downside to coming in for a season or four seasons if she breathes more life into it, and 
seeing any kind of a negative at all. Oh, I think there's a risk, which is why I like it. And with risk comes reward, but also a downside. What's the risk that you see? I, I don't I don't think I agree with you that if, let's say, Suits gets canceled next year, I think people who are inside in the business, who know the inside baseball of the business, like you, who are able to give like a four to five sentence explanation and a rationale for why it's not her fault, there certainly will be those people. But there's already a narrative out there that she is a show killer. I mean, this is the reaction. So, But not really, though. I'm going to really fight with you on that because – those shows, like, nobody, it's How not, can you say not really when it's there? But it's, nobody liked the shows to begin with. It's not like, oh, she was a show killer because she was not good or not appealing or not whatever. People weren't watching the shows as a whole. It's not like she came into shows at three or four seasons, which suddenly shut down. Right. Right. What they're talking about, though, is like, a, a, that might be factual, with, again, three or four sentences to explain it that requires like, hey, but, you know, she didn't come on to this show and this and that and the other. The easy summarization of it is Katherine Heigl did a show and it failed. Katherine Heigl did another show and it failed. Katherine Heigl joined Suits and it got canceled after the final, like after that season. I guess the issue I have with that is, again, uh, network executives and studio executives are notoriously risk averse. They're always trying to... Um, they're always trying to find things that are risk averse. Like, for example, uh, the people on magazine covers are not – it's why, like, Kaylee Cuoco sells magazines, right, despite not being a celebrity in the same sense. There are people who move magazines off mm -hmm. the stands um, regardless of their, like, beloved level or not. If she's a known quantity, if she was perceived as a show killer, they wouldn't put her in this role. Like, oh, I think that you're right about them being risk averse, and I don't think the risk is on them. You know, if she's a success, then they look good, and they have new life injected into a show that's already seven seasons old, and she, you know, lifted them up in the eighth season. If it's not a success, they have an, a built-in automatic scapegoat. That's why I like the move. What I'm saying is that the risk, though, it's a risky move on her part. I like the risk of it, though. I like the fact that she decided to take it. I'm not mad at that. But I don't think that she's going in here with a no-lose situation. I do think that she has taken a job that she all the pressure is on her. I guess I feel like there's less risk here than when she's a lead on shows that, to your point, did get canceled. That is, I don't believe it's your fault. There's a million things. Whatever. I'm with you, Katie. It's fine. Uh, I think she calls herself Katie, which is a lot. Um, but, okay, now I have to backtrack. Sorry to all you Katies out there. It's fine if you call yourself Katie, but if you're going to be professionally Katherine Heigl, uh, and then, like, refer to yourself or have others refer to you as Katie, it's a bit disconcerting. I also don't like it when people talk about Bobby De Niro. It's really annoying. <laughs> um, anyway, but to go on, yes, I think that, yeah, when you're headlining a show, it's on you. Yes, that Katherine Heigl show failed. Uh, if Suits is canceled, again, after seven seasons, which is a run, I don't think it's that Katherine Heigl edition failed that show. I mean, it doesn't look good either for her, either. Not that we're hoping it happens, like, you know, but anyway, my point is, yes, I do like this professional risk. I think it's interesting. Um, 
I mean, to go back to that tweet we got or that message we got a few weeks ago about the mom. <laughs> I don't think the mom is involved at all in suits. I will say we haven't seen the mom in the press in years, right? Like that yeah. story about she hangs out with her mom. She has the same hairstyle as her mom. Well, a lot of those shows, like the, the I think uh, the State of Affairs, um, is that the name of the show? Yeah. Um, I think it was a co-pro. Like, I mean, not a co-pro. I think that her mother was a producer on that. Well, I think her mother is her producing partner. But yes, to your point, this is an acting job for Katherine Heigl. Mm -hmm. She's not coming in as a producer, thus uh, her producing partner. Yeah. Happens to be her mother. Yeah, is not going to be involved. Yeah, I, yeah. That makes I, I, sense. But I mean, I would love to find out in I don't know six months when if Catherine Heigl is a super success on Suits that one of the conditions of her joining the show was that her mother would become a producer. I would like that would just be a detail that would send me off the deep end. Um, but right now we have no indication of such, um, and it probably isn't the case. We'll see what we can work out for your birthday. That said, here is something that I have been sitting on that. I don't know. I don't know if we need to make a deal over, but Suits um, had two departures. One of like one of those people is Meghan Markle, yep, uh, a woman of color, mm-hmm. and they have now replaced her. And it's not a straight replacement. This is a new character. It's new life on the show um, with not. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think Suits, uh, you know, again, not being a faithful watcher, does a reasonable job of having uh, a number of characters of color. It's not uh, wall-to-wall white. But you're right. It is one of those things where the count goes down by one. And by the same token, had they, you know, brought in a new character to invigorate things in a way way similar to the Meghan Markle character – uh, who was a woman of color, you know, it's, there might've been a, an, a conversation about, well, is that sort of, uh, uh, you know, replacementism, tokenism, which of course not. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm also interested to see whether, uh, they will replace Patrick J. Adams, uh, and, you know, in that sort of alpha role, like who comes on to be that person? Cause I think that could be, uh, an interesting new dynamic. So let's put a pin in it for six months later. Or No, I, I don't think we'll be seeing Katherine Heigl. You know, I don't know. There are episodes scheduled to air uh, in the, the later part of season seven airs in this year. And I think those are the episodes that uh, Meghan Markle banked before she left. Yeah. So I think what we're talking about uh, are episodes that are scheduled to begin production in sort of May or June. Right. Uh, and won't be on the air till the fall. So yeah, happy birthday to you. <laughs> Six months. We'll see. Good luck, Katie Heigl. Katie Heigl. So speaking though of uh, network TV and, you know, sort of the the roles that happen and the people who become people, uh, I, how long would you say I've been nattering at you to watch The Good Place? Like three months, four months? Yeah, that sounds about right. I uh, I turned it on when it premiered. Uh, got really, like, bored after episode two uh, and then turned it off. And I was chastised by friends and and people. Long story short, I caught up, I think, probably about three months ago. And now I've been obsessed ever since. It is, for reasons that you know if you're watching and for reasons that you don't if you're not, 
It is kind of revolutionary. It is shocking. It's amazing what's happening on network television. But we're not really going to talk about the story of it. What is really interesting is that there are six leads on that show. Uh, Two of them are Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. And the other four are almost complete unknowns who, for the most part, are in their first job on television. Uh, And the other day, you read an article about one of them. Well, it was sent to me by many people who clearly watch The Good Place, and I know you you guys are out there, and I will say that, yes, I have not watched a minute of it. Duanna has been on my ass, including right before we started recording this podcast, like to the point of frustration. Like, I I almost, I thought you were going to like walk out, and I was like almost going to yell back at you being like, get off my ass. Um, Well, you're going (laughs) to see why, I think through the course of this conversation, um, because, of course, the article that we're talking about is uh, that was sent to us was the Manny Jacinto article in GQ. GQ is actually profiling all four of the, quote, unknowns from The Good Place. Uh, but I didn't expect for the article to to hit you, somebody who doesn't know the show, the way it did. Well, I'll tell you, I'll admit, I'll tell you and I'll admit that the reason it hit me at first is because I was like, holy shit, this guy's hot. The guy's really <laughs> bloody good looking. Okay, so... Well, I'm not I just gonna... want to pause you though, yeah. because even that, even the fact that he's good looking is something that is somehow hidden by the show for the first four, five, six episodes. And then there's a twist which allows it to be seen. And it's kind of amazing that you don't realize it. And then you're like, oh, Okay. Like, he is so fucking gorgeous. It's crazy. So is it oh, – we're going to have a fight now. Is it Manny Jacinto or Manny Jacinto? Look, I don't know, but I wouldn't call somebody Manny Jacinto because I wouldn't go from a Y to a Y sound. Um, Manny <laughs> Jacinto. Uh, so I I choose to believe it's Manny Jacinto, but I don't know. Okay. So – Manny, um, so yeah, like this article in GQ, first of all, at least on my computer, the whole, like there are no words that show up when you pull up the link. The only thing that shows up is a major close-up on his face before you even get to the author of the piece, before you even get to like who this guy is. There's no name. It's just this face. Because like I would have laid it out like this too. Smart laying out, GQ. And it's not an accident. He's stunning. The other thing that is worth pointing out right up front here, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you can't Google yet, please Google as soon as you can, but Manny Jacinto is Asian, um, and I think this is one of the very first times that we are seeing this treatment of an Asian man just like with a giant, giant photo to indicate that he is, in fact, gorgeous. I mean, yeah? they should have been doing this with John Cho a long time ago. Well, but this is but you they and didn't. I t- well, you and I talked about John Cho and how long it took for him to be seen as a leading man. Um, but this kind of photo treatment in a magazine layout uh, or a digital magazine layout is very, uh, you know, it's very Brad Pitt. It's very Garrett Hedlund. That sort of intense face up front is not something that we have seen oh. Um, with a man of color as often, especially in like a, I don't know, a boy porn magazine like GQ. Well, I will, I'll go further, not just a man of color, but an Asian man, as we said. Like, I mean, uh, when we talked about John Cho a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Asian men really, really sit at the bottom of the list of, 
uh, on the list of like attractive guys. Um, I think I mentioned the statistic about dating apps and swiping and uh, the stat is out there. Asian men and black women are swiped the least. I mean, I believe you. I don't know if you mentioned that stat before, but I I think that's probably very true. But one other thing I realized looking at this layout is that often with uh, a man of color, uh, a, a black man or an Indian man, you see a photo a little later in the layout that is a a photo of them in context. You know what I mean? So they're in a convenience store paying for something or they are walking their dog or whatever. It's not always just a a beauty shot of a close-up of a face right up front. So it's very different, which is very exciting. Uh, GQ is profiling all four of the baby cast, as they call themselves, of The Good Place. Uh, so that's Manny Jacinto, Jamila Jamil, who we've talked about on this show a couple of times, uh, as well as William Jackson Harper, who plays Chidi, who's also stunning, but you don't see that on the show. Uh, just check out his IMDb photo, please. Uh, as well as, uh, Darcy Camden, pardon me, Darcy Carden, who plays Janet. Uh, and they sort of are doing a profile on each of them, which is very exciting. But that's, once we get past the beauty and the beauty shots, that's not really what, what grabbed you here. No, I just, I'm glad that we discussed it though, because I think it's worth talking about because in this ongoing conversation about diversity, oh yeah, William Jackson Harper, I like you. I like yeah, you too. I am waiting for that yeah. spread. Yes. Um, in this ongoing conversation about diversity, it's about representation it's becoming like a boring word for a lot of people and everybody eye rolls. But this is an example of that where we have images of beauty and of attraction um, that have not been traditional, that we wouldn't have seen even five years ago. So that's why, oh, I mean, listen, we now we're just, this, po this podcast has become us Google imaging, Manny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a little bit objectifying him, and yet I'm not mad at that. When we're changing what we objectify, especially um, that objectification or the target of that objectification becoming something and a look that hasn't always been ever objectified, um, I'm, I'm good with that. But anyway, yes, we well, go I on. Well, actually, I, you know what, though, before we go on, uh, just to keep it there, no, but I take a little bit of issue with you saying everybody's tired of the diversity discussion because I feel like, you know who's not tired of it? People who have never been represented. Like people who have historically been underrepresented, uh, yeah. people of color, women of color, women in different uh, permutations, uh, it, people in the LGBT community, not tired of this conversation. No. Nope. Not tired of seeing themselves, however incrementally, being reflected on screen. So uh, that's kind of the context with which you go into this profile once you can convince yourself to scroll past. Well, let me jump off that then <laughs> because I agree with you. I'm not tired of it. You're not tired of it. The people who are tired of it, my example is like, gee, thanks, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman. Um, maybe you're tired of wearing uh, dresses and having people ask you about it, but you know who isn't? Laverne Cox. And to me, that's what, when, when we, and 
like you're kind of making a face like you're a little bit confused here, but I think all of that comes into the same conversation when we're talking about diversity and we're talking about what time's up, what we're saying time's up on. You can have a red carpet and you can be like, don't ask us anymore about our fashion. We're more than that. Yeah, but also you've been walking red carpets for 30 years and been asked about what you're wearing and the pretty dress that some designer got to send to you. And you got to be on the magazine covers talking about your fashion for a long, long time. Yeah, you know you're who talking didn't? About red carpet privilege here, yeah, essentially. Exactly. You know who didn't? Exactly. Laverne Cox, Mary J. Blige, Hong Chow. Um, all of those people who are now just having their moment of walking down a red carpet and they walk up to Juliana Rancic and who are you wearing? Frankly, if it was me, I'd be fucking happy to be answering that question because people like me never got to answer that question in the past. Anyway, so, uh, and, and this is why, but, but my point is all of that is connected when we talk about privilege and who is bored of the representation discussion and who isn't bored of it. It goes on many levels. At the highest level, we have Manny and these kinds of examples of somebody who is being appreciated for his good looks when five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago, he wasn't. And then on a lower scale or further down the scale, you have that fashion conversation. You have that visibility conversation that happens on the red carpet. And I don't think it's two separate conversations. I think all of it is connected. Well, I agree with you 100%. Uh, but now I want to lean into a little bit of specificity about uh, the way we have seen uh, Asian men on screen and in uh, the media. I am loath to spoil anything for you about the show, but I think it might be interesting for you to know, based on the article and based on what you enjoyed in the article, that the character that Manny Jacinto plays, Jacinto, let's find out, um, is not always perceived to be that smart. Is that in itself something of note? Oh, yeah. I... I think, you know, we've heard quotes from so many Asian actors who say that um, when they get casting calls and when they get sent somewhere to audition for something, it's, also, it's always the doctor or the call center employee or the tech person. The, the IT guy, right. Yeah, the accountant. Um, I once interviewed the star of Kim's Convenience. That would be Paul Sun Hyung Lee. And he plays uh, Appa. Appa. He plays Appa. And he said the same thing. He he was like, I believe he said that he was considering not acting anymore because all the parts that he was being sent were doctor or whatever. You're a stereotype, right? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, one of the problems that we all continue to have in sort of this age of truth-telling, even before Me Too and going back to uh, Bill Cosby's uh, trials and all the kind of women who have come forward and talked about the ways that he abused them is trying to separate the art from the person perpetrating things. Uh, and so I feel conflicted about bringing this up, but one of the people who was sort of leading that conversation was Aziz Ansari in the context of Master of None. The character Dev is constantly auditioning for, uh, you know, roles as the two-line scientist the concerned Indian, uh, you know, science consultant, the doctor, etc. It was a nice little meta commentary that happened all the time. So uh, you were having this conversation uh, with 
with Paul. Yeah. It was during an interview that that he did when he came on The Social. And so to go back to your point about Manny, you know, on this show, I don't watch it, but I now know from this interview that he doesn't play an accountant. He's not the tech guy. He's a bimbo. Yeah. And there are so many layers to the way that he is that I just, I, God, watch the show. <laughs> but um, sorry, I probably peaked our audio there, Yasik, but sometimes passion has to take its play. Um but yeah, everything about what he does on this show is completely singular and has nothing to do with a stereotype. And of course, black Americans and black actors have been having this conversation for a long time, right? When do we get to be in movies where we're not slaves or housekeepers? I just uh I just read an article about Octavia Spencer and people love Octavia Spencer and she's done a great job in The Shape of Water. Um, and she's been nominated for another Oscar in The Shape of Water. But there are some people in the black community who are like, you know, this is nothing to do with our support of Octavia. It's still there. But in The Shape of Water, she plays a custodian. She plays a cleaning person. Um, and so on the Asian side of it, yeah, there are little boxes that Asians have been fit into for so long. And it is 100% refreshing that Manny is like essentially the dumb jock again, bimbo on the show. I love it because everybody can be anything. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, somebody said something so fascinating. I think it was uh, a Marita, who's a longtime reader, sent us an email and said, I hope that people now want to cast him and can't because he's such a big deal. And so they start looking for other Asian actors to fill a Manny Jacinto type, which is such a great, great point that uh, once this is, uh, once this kind of characterization is proven to work and be desirable, uh, it's like, well, how can we replicate that? How can we do that? Uh, And, you know, obviously you can't get that guy. He's signed to a seven-year contract. So who else do you get in his stead? And it kind of opens up a door. And I thought that was a really nice point and a really exciting point. It is. And it um, it's in particular, it's interesting to me because I met a writer um, on the social once again. His name is Naben Ruthnam, and he's written a book called Curry, Eating, Reading, and Race. And when he was talking about his writing of this book, he spent a lot of time saying, I don't want to write the curry book. And what is a curry book? In his mind, um, the curry book Do you remember in the early 2000s when there were a lot of authors coming out of South Asia, um, Rohinton Mystery, for example, um, and he, I'm paraphrasing the Ben, but I mean, he was saying these are books where, you know, uh, it's, it's, it takes place in India and they live at this home where there are mango trees around and um, it's all about 
um, a lifestyle that North Americans wouldn't be familiar with, and it has to do with an exoticism that is grounded in that culture. And then the expectation, especially in publishing, were that South Asian authors had to produce more and more curry books, as he called it. And he was like, I didn't want to write the curry book. I didn't want to be the Indian author who came out and wrote this uh, spiritual story about my background and my family and all those lessons. Like the books are almost fantasy, right? It makes uh, it yes. makes uh, India, or I'm sure there are similar books that are set in other parts of Asia or et cetera, that are so uh, so exoticized uh, that it's almost fantasy, right? And then maybe fetishized later. Sure. Um, and so when we were talking about that, I thought about me and I, I said to him, well, yeah, me too. I, I didn't want to write like a Joy Luck Club, a mm -hmm. Mahjong book. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up doing it and he ended up doing it too. Like he wrote a book and his book is called Curry, right? And so, um, where do we wrestle with that? I mean, in my book, there's a lot of discussion about how I am both the Mahjong, and the North American. Um, and in his book, there is a lot about how he is, yes, the Curry, but also very contemporary Canadian. Well, when in North American society especially, uh, kind of North American white melting pot is seen as the default, if you are not the default, you kind of have to set the stage for why not, right? You almost have to explain why uh, your perspective is a little to the left or the right. So yeah. I understand that from those perspectives. One of the reasons I especially like that in the context of Manny Jacinto is because the biggest bomb drop in this article, other than those photos are stunning, uh, <laughs> is that uh, Manny Jacinto is Canadian. If you are not Canadian and you're listening to this, you're like, uh-huh. But Canadians are, uh, there's almost a, I don't know, a secret newsletter that goes around. You know who's Canadian. You know who uh, in your smaller circles uh, has made it big, has gotten a big role, has whatever. Uh, it's kind of a, would not an open secret. It's not a secret. What would you call it? Like it's a... Uh, it's just kind of a known quantity of like, uh, oh, oh, he's Canadian, she's Canadian. There are great, uh, there are great episodes of This American Life where they explain just almost how compulsive it is for Canadians to say they're Canadian. Uh, but I didn't know Manny Jacinto was Canadian, and so he is coming to this sort of massive fame now from a number of perspectives, uh, having been uh, an an Asian man, a man of color, and a Canadian all kind of slightly other things, and now to be sort of vaunted as the new big thing, he's carrying a lot of those explanations for his perspective. I, I, I love it too, and I love it because I like how it complements the other Asian stories we've seen over the last six months. Um, we, I just mentioned Hong Chao earlier, Hong Chao's in Downsizing, and she has said that her performance uh, was a tribute to her parents who are immigrants from Vietnam. And in that conversation about Hong Chao, or in some of the conversations about Hong Chao, there were people who took exception to her accent, for example, in the film, which we discussed on this show. 
Um, and we defended her creative decision and the creative decision to have her represent her character that way. Well, let's be like, just to boil it down to a point, people said her accent was stereotypical. And she said, it's not stereotypical. It's literally the way my mother and dad, my mother and father talk. Yeah. Like, how can it be a stereotype if it's my lived experience? That's right. And so we have that example in, in a pretty big movie. I mean, it didn't do well, but it's Alexander Payne. Um, yeah, it, everybody acknowledges it, that she did well despite the movie that's not right. doing well. And then we have this performance by Manny Jacinto, Jacinto, um, who is the exact opposite of that. And so we're starting to fill in that space, right, about what characters Asian actors can live in and show us, uh, what characters can, like, the multi-layers that white people have played um, that haven't been allowed to actors who are of color, that is starting... I feel like to build a little bit of momentum. Um, last year, not many people saw this movie either, and I, I'm, I'm quite disappointed because it was a really good movie. Um, it was called The Edge of Seventeen, starring Haley Steinfeld, and her, the romantic male lead in that film, is an actor also from Vancouver, Canada. His name is Hayden Cito, gorgeous Asian actor as well, and. I mean, that too kind of went overlooked, but it's still part, it's on the list now and it's building. And it's so, it's so fascinating because we're seeing coming out of like Canada right now, maybe this, this movement, this, um, I don't know, this brigade of Asian actors, one of whom you work with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for shameless self-promotion, uh, a web series that I was delighted to write last year, uh, called Upstairs Amy. Uh, has a fantastic uh, Vietnamese-Canadian woman in the lead. Her name is Nido, uh, but her social handle is Nintendo. Uh, go find it. Also hilarious. Uh, and uh, there's a little Lauren Holly in there for you and some other treats, uh, Glenn Coco. But it's exciting to talk about all these performers from uh, from a, as an acting perspective because it hasn't always been an option uh, from the performing end and also from a casting end. You know, casting directors are always throwing up their hands and saying, well, we we, we can't find diverse actors, uh, that the request that is going out is that they can't find the people who are requested, even if the creative calls for them. Uh, and, you know, that sounds like an excuse, and it's sort of an excuse, and it's sort of true. Uh, because I think you and I both hit on uh, the same place in the article that was really interesting where uh, he's asked by the journalist, who uh, I believe is also Asian. Is that true? Yes. Um, he's asked about his parents' reaction to his career choice. Yes. Um, and, and specifically, the question was, hey, you know, you have um, – you have – Asian parents. I don't want to pull the Asian parent card, but were they cool with you going into acting? And that is that is an angle like that that we come to as Asians because our parents being immigrants or many of especially in this particular discussion, our parents came to North America from a different country. Often there weren't as many opportunities they came to give us better opportunities and acting is such a fucking crapshoot. Yeah. I mean, for 
many, many immigrant families, it's just that's not a choice that you make um, for your children uh, because it's, yeah, it's not seen as secure. It's not seen as being really transparent in terms of what the paths are to success. Uh, and I think in situations where it has happened, Mila Kunis comes to mind. Uh, it's something where what has been an after-school activity becomes a professional occupation before anybody has time to make a choice about it, right? Yeah. She landed that 70s show at 14 before anybody had the time to drop the hammer about what she would or would not do for a living. Uh, I know there are lots of things to talk about here that we're going to get into, but certainly when the call goes out for actors of color, often they're not there because they haven't been in the pipeline of coming up through being young actors or trying things or whatever because it's not seen as a as a substantial choice, not just in terms of acting's, I don't know, pedigree, uh, but because of the inherent danger and uh, and instability. Well, and to speak to that, his parents, or in his answer, he says, yeah, it's funny because I think as long as I finished my degree, they said, go ahead and do whatever you want. That is so immigrant parent. You have to finish school first. Yeah. Well, that's very liberal immigrant parent, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, do what you want after you get your degree. That's right. Have something to fall back on. And of course, we know not only immigrant parents say that, but that that is the given, right? It's it's the, yeah, after you have a solid foundation in accounting or teaching, then you can talk about dreams. Yeah. Like for my parents, um, it was I finished school and then I did the things. And when I told them I was quitting my job to be a blogger, my parents still don't understand really what a blogger is. No, like my mother not. has an in and out relationship with the internet that like she thinks is just this, this, this floating cloud that goes from country to country. Um, and they were like, what do you mean? You have this job at a great organization. Uh, they have benefits. It's a steady paycheck. I don't understand. What are you doing? Um, obviously, the moment it became viable, it is, was a different story. And the pride and the, the emotion with that is, is, is a different story. But at the beginning, it was like, I, I don't get it. Like, there's a company that's willing to pay you and you want to leave that. Well, and, you know, every every immigrant kid knows this, uh, that not only do you have to make this crazy choice work if you're going to make it work, you also have to kind of translate it for people who may not understand what it looks like. There's a great line in a series of great lines in that article uh, where he talks about how Nobody in his family had ever done this kind of thing before. And I thought about how even that, even the idea that you don't have an uncle who was an editor or, you know, a cousin who worked in a recording house who let you crash on their couch while you figured things out in L.A. Uh, there's just, there's so many kind of unseen hurdles. It also reminds me of this amazing, amazing tweet uh, from Jomney's son, uh, who, of course, uh, has written the the amazing book. Uh, every, I can't even say the title. Everyone's an every. Everyone's a alien when you're a alien too. Uh, this is uh, the kind of thing I guarantee you have seen his Twitter and his cartoons. 
uh, even if the title doesn't feel familiar. But uh, he wrote this great, great tweet uh, on Christmas Day, which I felt was not an accident, on Christmas Day 2017. And he wrote, Shout out to everyone, but especially kids of immigrants who are hustling for their own goals and dreams and beliefs, often in the face of parents who fundamentally don't understand why they're doing what they do. I see you. I am you. We got each other. There's a no, There's a whole extra level of understanding that this is a, a factor, another hurdle to getting into a career in the arts. And I love that people are beginning to talk about it. Well, that's all you needed to do. Why don't you show me a picture of Manny Jacinto earlier? I would have started watching like The Good Place three months ago. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about we were talking about representation. It is worth noting I'm not on the Good Place payroll. I would like to be. Call me Michael Shore. Uh, but it is worth noting that the diversity on the show in terms of casting and different faces is massive, but more importantly, that every single one of those faces, up to and including the tiny blonde, is playing somebody who has nothing to do with any sort of stereotype you might have assumed or assigned to them. And it's really, really worth checking out uh, for all kinds of reasons, but because of how refreshing that feels and how easily it gives you kind of a new perspective on the world when you're watching people that you assume might be ascribed by network television to be one way, be completely another way. And in short, if you've been listening to this uh, going, yeah, I know I'm a huge fan. All I have to say is please email Elaine to watch the show and also Bortles. Moving on. Moving on. A story I pitched you on Thursday, and I just want to let people know how I pitched it to you in the exact wording. I sent you an email with the link. The title of the email remained blank. And then in the body of the email, I wrote, I cannot fucking believe I'm doing this, but this is such a smart promotional strategy. God. And of course, it's a story about Kim Kardashian. Ugh. I mean, you don't even call her Kanye West's wife anymore. Well, I feel like people would be mad at me because, listen, we're in this moment of Me Too and women's rights, and I do not want to be criticized for taking away a woman's name and referring to her in relation to her husband. But I mean, as many people, you can hate me and send me hate mail all you want, but let's face it, Kim Kardashian got to the next level of fame. Um, there was one, there was like the first stage and then there was another stage, but there became a, like another stage after she and, and Kanye got together. Sorry. I mean, yell at me. That's fine on one level, but we're here because you can't deny the business strategy of the topic we're going to talk about. And it makes you crazy, but that's all Kim Kardashian for Kim Kardashian or whoever she's smart enough to hire to come up with this idea. But, uh, I mean... That's all her. And oh, no. you love it. That train already left the station. Several, a few months ago, we opened the show with a Kardashian discussion about their business savvy and their manipulation of the new face of fame and how they may have changed the, the, the fame ecosystem, the celebrity ecosystem. So I, there, that's past the point of denial for me. Do I have to care on an everyday basis on the blog and like, 
have posts about her. No. And again, as we I said on that episode a few months ago, it's because it isn't as interesting when it's so premeditated. Like the game there, if when they're running the game, what can you say about the game? That said, we talk on this show and on this podcast about work and the mechanics of work and how you lean into your best skills to do your best work. And I I saw what she was doing with her fragrance and I was like, well, yeah, she is is again, once again, using that celebrity ecosystem that she and her family have evolved and mutated and extracting the parts of it that work best for her brand and and pushing it out and amplifying it. It's undeniable. Okay, so specifically, um, she's launching her new fragrance or series of fragrances, which, like, is that a diffusion of whatever? Uh, We just had a little offline conversation where you said, you know, like when you launch three lipstick colors, but I feel like one fragrance is a fragrance. Anyway, sure. Uh, And she tweeted, uh, or pardon me, she Instagrammed a list of people she was sending advanced copies to. Right. So there are three scents in the new line, and they're called BFF, Bay, and Ride or Die. So in this image that she put on social media, um, it's sticky notes, all of them color-coded. So the blue sticky notes were people who were getting the Bay scent, and then the purple sticky notes were people who were getting a different scent, like I guess the Ride or Die, and then the BFF, um, the BFF uh, people were in pink. So it's been noted by everybody that the people who are getting the Bay scent, so the blue sticky notes, are all people that she's had beef with. Which, I mean, first of all, that's amazing to just put it out there and to, like, you know, be be super, be super upfront about what's happening. Um, she's not stupid. Uh, and she has since tweeted, let me say all haters didn't get Bay. Some of my real BFFs got Bay too, and my mom. But like, you know, the mark is clear here of well, what she's doing. Well, no, she knew exactly what she was doing, which is resurrecting, and the biggest name here in terms of people she has beef with, um, it's Taylor Swift, right? So, you know, she's she's even so tapped into that kind of gossip and how to leverage it and exploit it and squeeze every bit of juice out of it that your eye immediately goes to Taylor Swift because it's smack in like the center. It's the center left of the image. So there are two columns of blue sticky notes. Taylor's name is not at the top. That's Sarah Michelle Geller and Sarah Michelle Geller's like name, it's blurry a little bit because of the angle the photo was taken at. Um, and it's not at the bottom. It's right in the middle of the blue column. And that's like um, in the center area of this image. So your eye immediately goes to Taylor Swift and then Anna Wintour is beside her in like purple. So even that was strategic. Let's not, let it, let's not pretend it wasn't. Well, I mean, this is also the glory of working with sticky notes, right? You can move things around to your best advantage. But to me, I'm like, yeah, but Taylor Swift is obvious. Anna Wintour is kind of a good guess, right? Like those are beefs that we all know and remember. To me, the glory of this is the kind of more random names. Uh, 
Pierce Morgan, uh, Janice Dickinson, Sarah Michelle Geller. The Sarah Michelle Geller one is so deep, and People Magazine, to their credit, dug up the beef that I had long forgotten, where uh, when Kim Kardashian appeared on the cover of Vogue, Sarah Michelle Geller was like, so who's canceling their subscription? Like, that is a deep, deep cut. And that sort of goes to her. What I like about it is that it proves Kim Kardashian's strategy is not just, so-and-so made me mad. Like, in the power structures of Hollywood, Taylor Swift and Anna Wintour are probably above Kim Kardashian. Sarah Michelle Gellar most assuredly is not. Right. So it's not just striking back at people who, you know, uh, have power and who she's trying to, uh, like, get attention on the backs of, right? You know when people say, like… No, she's punching up and down. She's punching up and down, but that to me is… It's not even punching down because it's like… It's just keeping a file. It's not merely, oh, they were mean to me in the press. It's, oh, no, I remember. I have a file. A file, Duanna. Like a burn book, right? Like this is what – burn books are one of the essential components of gossip. Taylor Swift has used the burn book um, analogy repeatedly. She doesn't name it, but we all know it's there. She's made subtle and obvious allusions to it. These are people who have maximized the gossip around them, sometimes complained about it. Hi, Taylor Swift. But in Kim K's case, she's like, yeah, I'm using it and I'm going to make fucking money off of it. And the more I create it, the more I bank it. What I think I like about it is just that it's, in having those names, Janice Dickinson makes the list. It's deliciously petty. And it's not, uh, it makes it feel... It makes it feel, to me, I got to be honest, it feels more authentic than if it were merely A-list names. It makes me feel like, no, these are people who I I really want to watch them squirm, regardless of their level of fame. It's like when you are still mad at the guy from when you were 22, and people are like, yeah, but there's been a million like dudes since then, and your life is amazing and whatever. And you're like, yeah, I'm still mad. Yes, he's now working at like uh, the chicken villa down the hill, but I'm still mad. And I love that element of it. It makes her delightfully human. Listen, to go back to the beginning, I sent you this note and I was like, I can't fucking believe it. But on a business level, like I actually don't even care if she's human. I do obviously care that she's tapping into everyone's very human impulse to care about the petty and the burn book um, and to once again generate a headline for the purpose of her business. Like, you don't need to hire a brand manager and, um, well, maybe this was the, maybe this was uh, an idea that came from a publicist, but it doesn't feel like 18 people were in a boardroom and there were like whiteboards and PowerPoint presentations if people still use those discussing, hey, here's phase one of the rollout and here's phase two of the rollout. It does give you the impression, and this is where that authenticity word comes in, it does give you the impression that she was sitting around and she was like, get me some sticky notes. This is who we're going to send freebies to and we're going to put this on social media and everybody's going to know that I've got a new fragrance with three cents coming out. But that's the thing is like you talk, you say we don't talk about her on a daily basis and it's true and I have never watched 
uh, keeping up with the Kardashians. It just was never in my rotation. But this makes me go, oh, okay, she's a little more familiar to me than I thought she was. I have no interest in like, you know, perfectness and always looking great and like the the stage getting out of car shots. I have time for somebody who's like, and you know who else? A 15-year-old <laughs> who once pissed me off. Like, I am here for that. I'm here for the humanness of that. Look, I... The day that I, the day that I was like, okay, fine, Kim Kardashian was the day she dropped the receipts on Taylor Swift, right? The recording that she had held back for God knows how long and she laid the trap the day before on social media by celebrating the National Day of the Snake and there was, there was a subsequent GQ interview or I think the GQ interview became earlier and she waited and she waited and then she was like, oh, here, by the way. Happy Christmas, everybody, in the summer. And that became one of the biggest gossip stories of the year. That was the day I was like, all right, you are a hoarder in your own way. You hoard your grudges. What's that great line from Big Little Lies that Reese Witherspoon says as, um, as Madeline Martha McKenzie? I love my grudges. I tend to them like little pets. That was, look, if you are bigger than that and you're listening, congratulations. Many people are not bigger than that. We keep our grudges. We tend to them like little pets. And oftentimes they fuel us. Yeah. And you, look, they may just be a grudge. But when you have the opportunity to kind of even the score, then they become more than a grudge. Then they become like a move, a strike, a retribution, or maybe a, you know, a feeling of power. So I'm super into that. Again, it makes her so much more human than the person who is crafting everything all the time. Is it going to make me buy the perfume? No. But is it going to make me pay a little more attention to the next few moves? Yeah. It has, it has turned my interest up one notch. You know whose name isn't on this list? Who? Beyonce. So we all know that there is a, a situation going on between Jay and Kanye. Sure. And part of that situation I mean, was that Kanye was mad that Jay <laughs> and Beyonce didn't let their kids come play with Kim and Kanye's kids. And there's been all kinds of talk about this feud and when it will end. And she left Beyonce's name off. And I, I also think that that was strategic because you don't want to fucking mess with that either. I mean, first of all, you don't mess with Beyonce, obviously. <laughs> but secondly, I, I really like that. No, she left it off too because that's his beef with Jay-Z. You know what I mean? Like that's his controversy. I know you're going to be like, oh, but Taylor Swift was actually. But no, Taylor Swift tried to make out like Kim Kardashian was a liar. She tried to manipulate, like, the, there were roles about who the women were in the situation in a different way. I think it's a different game. Yeah, but she could have color-coded Beyonce in, like, the same color code that her mother's name is color-coded in. Like, Lala is a friend of hers. She and Lala don't have beef. Um, yeah, but a friend is a friend. Beyonce is a different, like, you don't... She couldn't... The point is she couldn't go near Beyonce in any way, not even to position her as a friend. Like, she couldn't even color code Beyonce in pink because you don't fucking go near Beyonce. No, that is trading on Beyonce's name. And yes. Yeah, you... Yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to do that. Um, no, I'm very into that. Uh, and because, of course, that omission is as deliberate as 
as using somebody's name is deliberate. Yeah, like even Kim in all her little game playing is not going to involve, do not invoke Beyonce in this. But this is why she's a smart businesswoman. It's not little game playing. It's strategic. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and it also allows for Beyonce to be like, huh, this is funny. And to, you know, subtly hint at it if she chooses in some way or nod to it or whatever at some time. It keeps that door open. This is a smart and thoughtful woman. And she reminds us every time we forget that she is a smart and thoughtful woman. And it's weird. That came out of your mouth, not mine. (laughs) Not mad at it. Like, whatever. We do what we have with the information we have. I freely, I'm ready to be corrected at any time, but she's showing us what she can do. I'm, I'm going to pay attention to what she says she can do. And that brings us to speaking of those who have subverted expectations, who constantly challenge people's ideas of what women could do, can do. Uh, it was late last night. It was the 11th hour podcast planning time when the article came out that the Spice Girls have agreed to reunite for, and I quote, let me be very specific here, opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically it was the Spice Girls are getting back together money. (laughs) Right? That's what I loved about it. It was like not we missed each other. We're doing it for our fans. It's not an anniversary. (laughs) It's not an anniversary. It would have been last year, the 20th anniversary. But no, it's not. They're not pretending that this is some sort of (laughs) gesture of friendship. It is no, we are getting back together. Cash. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We'll leave this in. We will not cut out your laughing and giggling because this is, to go back to the beginning of this podcast, all of these stories made us giggle, some in different ways than others. Like, we've objectified Manny, we've laughed about Kim Kardashian's burn book, we've had some giggles about Katherine Heigl, and this was the ultimate giggle. The Spice Girls, yes, are getting back together. Cash money. Here's what I love, is imagining how this went down. So, you know, there have been talks for years and years, right? Like, about are they getting back together? What are they doing? When could this, uh, you know, when could this come to pass? And they always give that diplomatic answer that people give about like getting Friday Night Lights back together or getting friends back together. Oh, well, it would have to be the right thing if everybody was available, (laughs) blah, 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 whatever, you know, that sort of idea, right? Fine. Uh, And then the new quote is, The time now feels right to explore some incredible new opportunities together, they said in a statement. So here's what I imagine happened is that, you know, the emails go around, right? Or like a group text or whatever. And as they see sort of nostalgia things come to the front, like, you know, like a few years ago, they all get their invitations to be on various versions of the X Factor or whatever, right? It's like, okay, there's renewed interest here. Um, And maybe somebody sends out an email. Maybe we should see if stuff is going on. No answer, right? Then uh, cut to, I don't know, like Destiny's Child joins Beyonce at the Super Bowl for a hot minute a couple of years ago. And like, I always think it's Mel C. Like, oh, maybe we should think about getting back together. 
no answer. Or like, maybe, says somebody else, and then the text thread goes dead, right? Yeah. And then, like, now we're living in a time where Will and Grace has been rebooted. Like, one day at a time has been rebooted. Like, I have to assume that somebody sent somebody else the notice that Murphy Brown was coming back as a show. And they were like, if Murphy Brown can come back, like, guys, what is standing in our way here? Magnum P.I. is coming back. And so the Spice Girls were reunited because money. Because money, yeah. Like, and what I love about this is, you know, the rumors started, like, circulating, I think it was last Thursday, right? We're doing this on Sunday, and that's when this headline has finally come out and they've issued this statement. But the rumors started coming out that, uh, like, Victoria was coming in and they were going to gather. They didn't deny it. And then the secondary wave of rumors was like, they're getting back together because they've all agreed that Victoria doesn't have to sing, which <laughs> which, which was amazing on its own. Like, I don't know that we could call it singing what she did before, like on their reunion tour in 2007, which I went to, all her contribution, like her solo was her walking down the runway. Right. Like, yeah. This, and this was... Twas ever thus, right? Yes. Like, I will never forget. She was my early favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will never forget the second video, Say You'll Be There. She has no appreciable solo in Wannabe or in the video. But in Say You'll Be There, there's like uh, uh, a sequence where she's ostensibly at the front and moving her mouth. But like the vocal tone doesn't change. Like there's yeah. no real voice where you're like, no. oh, yeah, that's her for sure. Um and now it's like, now they've just thrown it out completely. Because even during the reunion tour, nobody said explicitly, hey, Victoria's not singing. It was just, here's this runway and she's going to walk down this runway. Now it's like, Victoria will not be singing money. Um, <laughs> there have been reports that they might be going to China to judge a singing or a reality competition. Everybody's trying to get that Chinese money, which is something I've been saying on the blog for a long time. So yes, this is 100% financially motivated, um, and for whatever reason, the timing is right right now. Like, Victoria, you could say, is the most successful post-Spice era of all the spices with sure, the fashion yeah, yeah. line and and all of that. There are some reports that, look, to launch a fashion label and have a flagship store, that is, like, that is not not serious. That is fucking serious money. Yeah. And it actually takes a while before the money turns over and your investment becomes a profit. Mm-hmm. Many fashion lines before have failed. Like, sure. Do you remember JLo Sweetface? Uh, exactly. No, actually, <laughs> until right now. But yeah. Um. So there have been reports and people looking at her finances that like uh, Victoria Beckham, the fashion line has been losing money, which is actually normal in, again, in a business in its first few yeah, years. Yeah, you got to take a loss before you don't. So for Victoria, it might've been like, Hey, I've stabilized the fashion line. It's still not turning a profit yet, but the brand is out there. The quality is good. Let me just sort of beef up the coffers a little bit while we can, while someone's still willing to pay us. But you know, I'm so fascinated and glad that you brought that up because I think this is ultimately about timing. The Spice Girls were not losing money when they disbanded. They were still continuing to make money like fist over bucket. They were... Money wasn't the problem then. Money wasn't the problem. They were enormously successful. And in the intervening years, the ideas of a reunion were dismissed or laughed at or whatever as they are when we talk about Destiny's Child getting back together because 
the idea was that, especially for Victoria Beckham, who, as you point out, is the most uh, successful post-Spice Girls and probably taken the most seriously, the idea was, or the unspoken sentiment was, going back to that silliness would be silly, right? Like that would be a a frivolous, silly thing. And that would endanger the seriousness of her fashion line, which she has been very clear she wants to be taken seriously. But we're in a time where nostalgia has taken such a stranglehold. It used to be that sort of reboots and nostalgia was seen as a money grab, was seen as a bit tacky. But we're not there. Everybody is really earnest about these things and they're really successful and they're all doing well. There's no cynicism about bringing things back to life. And so it's also the time where she can go back to a, where she can go back to a successful business venture, the Spice Girls, and it not be seen as a bit uh, down market or tacky, but, you know, a quite legitimate strategic business choice to make. So I love that this is why this is happening now. If it is for the infusion of cash into Victoria Beckham, the the fashion line, um, it's because that's now a viable option at a time when it it might have before been seen as cheesy or silly or childish. So to sum up, the Spice Girls are getting back together. Cash. <laughs> yes, because money. Um, or again, for opportunities. Right. Uh, and I love that they were bold enough to point that out because there was no uh, there was no indication of, and we'll have a mention for you soon of what that will be, or, you know, there'll be an announcement in the coming days of whatever. It's just like, no, we're here. We're, we are available for hire. <laughs> Present your best offer. Yes. Money. Thank you. <laughs> the end. Glorious. And I'm delighted and I'm here for it. Thank you for being here for this podcast. Um, we've had nice. A, we've had a great, great time giggling about all of it. You have homework, obviously. Uh, you have to check out The Good Place if you haven't yet. Uh, and I'm going to challenge everybody, check out uh, a Katherine Heigl project that is not knocked up or Grey's Anatomy and see what you think. See if she has chops that are going under acknowledged or if she is in fact a show killer. Uh, and let's talk about that next time we're here. In the meantime, please check us out on Google Play and iTunes. Leave your comments. Work hard. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.